What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Baseball Connection. Today, I'm joined by a couple friends, Austin and Gabby. We're just going to talk about a lot of different things, you know, with this whole extended offseason, no one really knowing when the season's going to start. There are a lot of historical things we can touch on, and we are happy to share with you guys, so let's just get right into it. I guess with this whole lockdown, we figured we might as well do one and just see what we can talk about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of your recent ones, man. You've had some great ones. Oh, really right. enjoyed the one on the uh, on the bug game. Oh, man. Yeah. Java Chamberlain. So honestly, like I never really oh, um, God. I don't really script these. I just wake up in the morning. I'm like, what do I feel like talking about today? It might just be the randomest because I'm like, I have a long off season ahead of me. So it's just going to be whatever's on my mind. So then I just decided to talk about Java Chamberlain. My God, I have not thought about Java Chamberlain in such a long time. Yeah. So yeah, what what, what happened to him after he plunked uh, after he plunked Jeter? That was the last thing I remember when he was on the Tigers. I feel like he got into some legal trouble at one point. Let's take a look at Java Chamberlain's legal history. I just remember that. Yeah, he got no, I think Tony like some, I think something weird happened. Yeah. Oh yeah, he got a, he got a DUI. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I, no, he got a DUI the year that the Yankees won the World Series. Yeah, he was, like, not the most, like... Yeah. Let me see. Yeah, he, pit, he pitched, he pitched, he pitched for the Indians for a little bit, and then got cut, and then he started with the Brewers, and then got released in spring training, and that was it. Yeah, he's only 34, actually. That was a short career. And talk about... Yeah, talk about wasted, not wasted potential, because, you know, I don't think there was anything. I think it was more the Yankees misusing him. He was never going to be a guy who could be a starting pitcher. Um, no. I've always, I've, but looking back, uh, who is one player that you really wish had gotten a chance to pan out or that, you know, maybe it was injuries or their own personal doing, but player you enjoyed watching at a young age who just never turned into that superstar? Um, we're seeing right now Aaron Judge. That's really, you point. think? So you think? I mean, so I mean, even with what Judge has done so far, I think he has all the potential in the world. But the injuries have just decimated the last two, three years, and we have, and he's already like twenty-seven at this point, I believe, or older, twenty-eight. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Like twenty-seven. He is. He's the same age as Mike Trout. They were in the same draft Mike class. Trout. Um, or yeah, they were in the original spin draft class. Yeah, he's going Judge will be twenty eight in the end of April. Uh the thing with Judge that's always interesting is even with all those injuries, he was still a top player. I mean he put up five wins per fan drafts in twenty eighteen, he put four and a half wins last year. And that's only playing hundred and two games and getting, you know, four hundred forty five at bat or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, even with that, it's it's still he's still a top of the league player even with that, which is insane. Yep. Yeah. He's just such a big guy with so much musculature that I wonder if, like, that also makes him more injury-prone just because there's so much, like, there's just so much muscle there and so much size. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a medical person, but that always kind of scared me. Same thing with Stanton in some ways. I, mean, I think that's why having a guy like Eric Cressy was going to be such a huge thing for the Yankees this year. You know, Cressy Sports Performance. I saw that. He being one of the premier – he being one of the premier trainers, and even with Judge and Stanton already being injured in spring training, yeah. having the extra time to heal, getting to train with Cressy once gyms reopen, if gyms reopen, if life resumes as normal ever, um, having any of having that, I think, is going to be a huge, huge benefit to that Yankees team, and will probably help with the amount of injuries they've had. 
Madden, well, I'm, I mean, I I'm hope so. Uh, losing Larry Rothschild. <laughs> huh. did, did Rothschild finally leave New York? He he is yeah, he is he gone. Finds, I, I, who did they the hire? Now? I think that's um, right. You know what? They hired someone young. I'm trying to remember who it was. But I think didn't he get? They hired a guy named Matt. They hired a guy named Matt Blake. Matt Blake, yeah, exactly. They hired a guy named Matt Blake, who was originally, I believe, in Cleveland. Does that sound right? Um, that does sound right. Let me see. Yeah. 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 No, there's there's uh, there's Trevor Bauer talking about how great he is. Um. Yeah. (laughs) That's all the endorsement you need, right? Yeah, smartest man in baseball. Yeah, you gotta take that with a grain of salt. I mean. I like Bauer, like in general, but he's just he—he's has—he's had too much time on his hands this off season, on Twitter and just kind of going at it. I think he gave Pretty Rob Manfred a bit too much of a hard time about the whole Astros thing. I think he called Manfred out and really cursed at him unnecessarily. I understand he was upset, but I think that was a bit uncalled for. I do, and I also think that Manfred, uh, in fairness, credit to Manfred, he did meet with Trevor Bauer. They talked face to face. He explained everything, and Bauer said that he felt uh, a little more, not so much closure, but he felt like he actually understood what Manfred was deciding and that it was, you know, a good overall conversation. Wow. Yeah, I mean, one thing about this whole, um, this whole, not suspension of play, but I guess, yeah, the season suspend, no one knows what opening day is going to be, is that I have the fear that people are going to forget about the Astros because it was looking like, you know, opening day was going to come. They'd go to every stadium to get booed. And now I'm worried, like, oh, people are going to forget about it. If if we even have a season this year, when the Astros do take the field, are people going to take it easy on them? I hope not, but that's one thing I would Probably, I would say, my, the reason I would say no is because the Red Sox stuff still has to come out. And as soon as the Red Sox stuff comes out, then the Astros stuff gets pushed back in front of mine. Um, I think, you know, because obviously uh, Manfred had bigger fish to fry, such as how to deal with COVID-19. Uh, but as soon as the uh, as soon as the Red Sox punishment comes out, everyone's gonna remember. Oh, the Astros did the same thing too, and let's go boo everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I still think I still think to some degree though, like this is bigger news, and like the Astros treat cheating is bad and it sucks, but like COVID nineteen is a bigger deal. So to me, actually, Austin, I disagree with you. I think this is gonna kind of dissipate, even when the even when the Red Sox stuff comes out. I just think that people are more worried about the season actually starting. So can we start the conspiracy theory that Jim Crane actually is the purveyor of COVID-19 um, so that he could have none of his players thrown up? <laughs> but he sacrificed his job for it. It's a bit oh, morbid, but team. maybe. Oh, he's the, okay. I guess he sacrificed Luno yeah. and, and Hinch's job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Luno. Jeff Luno, uh, from my experience, again, working with the Brewers, Jeff Luno is not a very uh, well-liked guy. Um, it was pretty, at least from what we, from what we had thought, it was pretty clear he stole stuff from the Cardinals when he left the Cardinals to start up with the Astros. Um, and let's not forget, he got very lucky on certain draft picks. I mean, he butchered, he had the first or second pick four years in a row and he absolutely butchered two of those. He drafted two guys who are probably one who's never going to play in the major leagues and one who probably won't ever pitch in the major leagues and didn't even sign with the team. Are you referring to Mark Appel as one of those guys? And Brady Aiken. Oh and Brady my Aiken. goodness, you are right. Wow. That is a good yeah. point. But in hindsight... And he got lucky. He got lucky. He didn't find Brady Aiken. He ended up picking up uh, Alex Bregman the year after with that pick, the compensation pick. Yeah, that... um. But Bregman every... Had... A lot of it... No, go ahead. So, sorry. The only thing I was going to say is he just... He butchered so many of those drafts. I mean, yeah, Dad Cameron was a guy who looked to be an absolute stud, and he looks like he made a genius move in trading him 
uh, as part of the Verlander package, but none of those picks, you know, they, they've talked about how analytically advanced they're supposed to be. They really butchered the draft. You know, Altuve was a guy who had come in uh, pre those tanks. Um, you know, Springer was a guy that take, I believe they took either the year he got there or the year before he got there. And, and he just, it's hard to look at some of their moves and think, you know, God, this tanking really did a lot. When, when it comes back to the matter, I feel like they got really lucky on a couple picks and missed badly on a couple picks. But, I mean, let's talk about the first rounders that they did hit on. Obviously, Correa, obviously, Bregman. Yeah. The book's still out on Kyle Tucker, but I think he'll be good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Springer, Hopefully, he'll get a shot. But too. Springer was 2011. That was a while ago. Yeah, um, that would have been their first. Or that would have that would have been uh, before they uh, before Luno took over them. Right. So I, I know you feel strongly about that 2012 draft in which Carlos Correa was taken number yeah. one overall. How would you? I guess I could pull it up here, but how would you have done that instead? What What would you have drafted? Was Buxton your guy or? Or who did you I, I think it's interesting. So keep in mind, this is the first draft that uh, came after the new CBA. So if you remember in 2011, yeah. obviously it was an all-star draft. Uh, Trevor Bauer ended up signing for lower than the picks before him and after him because he signed a major league contract. With that option out of the way and with the, I believe it was a $10 million cap in 2012, it really changed how the draft was done. Carlos Correa was no one's number one pick, but because he was willing to sign for less, the Astros were willing to take a chance on him. Um, and because they were, because he signed for less, the Astros were able to draft and pay for Lance McCullers. So I think, uh, in terms of pure talent, it's so hard to know the guy who obviously everyone had at the top of their list. It was between Mark Appel and Lucas Giolito, uh, with Gio, unfortunately getting hurt. Um, it kind of shifted stuff up. I thought Mike Zunino was going to be the best player in that draft. Uh, I was clearly wrong. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> It's hard to know, but I think I would I would have Zunino high on my board. Um, obviously, the best player from that draft is still to be determined, but that supplemental first round looks amazing in comparison to the actual first round. Yeah, I mean, you could have a guy like Joey yeah. Gallo who ends up being, honestly, like long-term, he might end up being the best player in that class. Matt Olson, too. Matt Olson. Oh, and then obviously, you know, like you said, Gio, uh, Stroman. Mitch Haniger. Yeah. Mitch Haniger. Jose Barrios was in that draft. Stephen Piscotti was in that draft. That was a good one. There were a lot of picks in that draft. That was a, it was a good one. There were a lot of picks that really just yeah, did not pan out well. Richie Schaefer. Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, you have Kyle Zimmer who was taken fifth overall. Wow. Yeah. That's like no, the exact, is an amazing pick. That's the exact opposite yeah. of the 2011 draft. I think I, I did an episode about this the other day. The 20, I didn't know how deep that draft was until I went back and looked at it. It was like, not only did most of those guys make it to the bigs, they became all-stars. I mean, th- this is a draft where yeah. it's like, from the top, Garrett Cole, then like you said, Trevor Bauer, Rendon, Lindor, Baez, Springer, Jose Fernandez, RIP. CJ Crone, C- yeah, I think, was in that draft. I think the 2011 draft CJ was the Crown, first draft that I really... Gray. Yeah, the 2011 draft was the first draft I really tried to model out uh, baseball-wise or, like, projection-wise. And the two hitters in that draft I thought were going to be the best players were Rendon and T.J. Crone, just because that was they had the best available staff. You know, they were – Rendon killed it at right. T.J. Crone was absolutely dominant at Utah. Um, I think it also helps playing in, you know, high elevation. But 
you know, it's an amazing draft. And, you know, even Danny Holton, who is a player who nobody thought would make it, he's, uh, I believe he made it up, didn't he? Uh, I think Cubs? he did for a cup of coffee uh, last fall, I think September. Last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he made up, up I mean, he's, he's no longer a prospect at this point. Yeah. For a number oh, two. yeah. No, I mean, that draft, ended up, that draft ended up outstanding. A lot of great Red Sox picks. Mookie Betts. Uh, ben Charrington yeah. for all, the, the, Jackie Bradley Jr. in that draft, too. Yeah, you're right. Oh, as much crap as much, the yeah, ben as, much crap as, uh, as Ben Charrington got, and he made some awful free agency signing. Haley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval come to mind. But he drafted really, really well, and I think the Red Sox are going to be uh, – uh, hopefully they'll get the same type of thing out of Chaim Bloom, but we'll see. Yeah, they cashed in on all those picks, traded it for a World Series, and now it's it's all burning down. It's all burnt down. I mean, yeah. sale Tommy John. Right yeah. now, yeah. I think the rotation is going to be led by Eduardo Rodriguez. He's our ace right now. Eduardo Rodriguez. That was part of the Andrew Miller trade, too. So, another uh, another great trade made by Sherrington. Yep. For two months of Andrew Miller, the Orioles give up their top pitching prospect. Absolutely. Yikes. But yeah, I mean that that's those drafts are outstanding. Every literally every single team, even you know even Taylor Jungman, who uh, really uh, did not have, he pitched great that one for one year in Milwaukee and then kind of fallen off out of baseball. You know there was a every single guy on this list had at least a solid season, if not you know if not more. It looks like except for Henry Owens. <laughs> Henry, you were right about him. Um, yeah, I I, I bought into yeah, not that one was tough. I thought he was gonna be the next big thing, but I don't know what happened. Just couldn't pitch. Ron strikes is a difficult thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Jeez, even uh, like one thing I definitely... Yeah. I think one thing I really wanted to hit on, Gabby, that we have you on today, too. Uh, obviously, Gabby is a huge Yankees fan, uh, or pretends to be a huge, huge Yankees fan. Gabby's a humongous Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, and Deji, obviously with you being a huge Red Sox fan, uh, obviously with no baseball, what was your favorite game from the rivalry that you remember and why? Uh, Gabby, we'll start with you on this one. No, I'm going to let you start. I, I need a minute to think about it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's easy. <laughs> oh, that's, actually, I that's easy. 2004. Um, I mean, any of those games really, I, I'll go with game four with, uh, Dave Roberts. And uh, beating Mo. Anytime you can beat Mariano Rivera, that's that's always a good day. And then obviously coming back to win. But I'll take 2004 Game Four of the ALCS. That was a great. That was a great game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great for you guys. <laughs> I remember not being very happy that day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so no, uh, Austin. Sorry. What was, I was going to say, what was yours, if you could think of it? Um, so, Austin knows that I'm a huge Mike Messina fan. So, I'm going to pick in 2001 his almost perfect game against the Red Sox. David Cohn on the other side also pitched an insane game. It was one of those games where you just barely saw any balls hit outside the infield. I think it was like up until the sixth inning, there wasn't a single batted ball um, outside, outside of the, uh, beyond the infield. You guys will have to check me on that. But Mike Messina just looked absolutely incredible that day didn't give up a hit until the ninth inning I remember the Red Sox brought in a pinch hitter I forget who it was um it's not coming to my head off to my mind at the moment. I'm pulling I'm pulling the box for right now pitching. 
An absolutely yeah, incredible September split 2nd, on both sides. Yeah, it was Carl Everett uh, of legend, uh, the legend who uh, headbutted an umpire at one point in his career. Uh, Carl Everett, Carl Everett hit a uh, shallow left uh, blooper with two strikes and two outs in the ninth. In the ninth. Yeah, that 2001 season is probably uh, without maybe this season getting near it, but that's still the ear- most eerie season I think baseball will ever have. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And I think that this, I think this particular game was just a couple days before 9/11, actually, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. it was a week. It was a week. It was a week before September 2nd. A week before, yeah. It's not one that I feel like is uh, is talked about very much, but as I said, I'm a big Mike Messina fan, so I like this game. Yeah, I think. I think for me, my favorite Yankees Red Sox game never it wasn't a playoff game or uh, a game with any memorable uh, positive outcomes. It was a it's the Jason Baratak Alex Rodriguez fight. Um, oh, and God. that for me was just amazing. It was a Rod try. It was at the point where a Rod was trying to get himself welcome in New York, and Jason Baratak was yeah. the wily vet captain of that Red Sox team. Just watching the two of them go at it, especially after a Rod was so close to becoming a Red Sox and wanted to become a Red Sox, watching the two of them fight. Um, that was just amazing. Uh, great, great value add, especially the you know, year after the Pedro Don Zimmer incident. Um, I think that it made things so much more interesting. Absolutely. Well, if we're talking about fights, we might have to talk about a more recent one, like the Joe Kelly Tyler Austin fight. That was really oh, that was, time when they both that ended was up amazing. West. <laughs> what happened to Tyler Austin? Because the Giants cut him last. Yeah, I don't. Is he still in baseball? Um, I think he is. I don't know. He bounced around a lot. Yeah, he went to the Twins right after. Then I think, like you said, he went to the Giants. But I don't think he's found his footing. Yeah. Since then. No, he hasn't. He hasn't played for. Uh, he's not on any other. He's team. in Japan. He's in Japan. Yeah, the Yokohama Stars. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was the guy who was supposed to be a, an absolute stud, and really a shame it didn't work out well for him. He and Greg Bird. Oh my yeah, goodness. I think Greg both Bird. of them just are. Oh man, he had so much potential, but the guy's made out of glass. He's worse than than Stanton. That's sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Wow. I think the other the other key you know story I've always want I love hitting on um, obviously with Gabby and uh, Gabby's Rays fandom and with how exciting that team is. Uh, before the season started, one of the uh, prop bets I found most interesting was that the Rays would win the AL East, even with the Yankees signing Garrett Cole. Nash, what do you think the probability of that happening is? And Gabby as well, what do you think the uh, chances of, out of full season, Tampa Bay stealing that AL East because they're no, a better team? Quite frankly, quite frankly, I had the Rays winning too because as soon as I saw um, Severino go down, Stanton, Judge, I was like, all right, you know, the Yankees caught lightning in a bottle last year with all those injuries. They're not doing it again. The Rays are going to win this year. But now that the season's probably going to be pushed back, well, it's getting pushed back, all those guys might be healthy, so I'm going to go back to the Yankees. Except for Severino. Except for Seve, yeah. But they'll, they'll be fine. They yeah. might have Paxton back. I was going to say, I think I agree with that viewpoint. Um, with a shortened season and with some of those big bats coming back, I think it might make it more, more challenging for Tampa Bay. I like their defense. I like their pitching, but at the same time, I just don't think the offense is quite there. And in a short regular season, that might be enough for the Yankees. Um, but yes, in a full season, I certainly had my doubts looking at that very fragile team that the Yankees were looking to field. I think the short season actually benefits the Rays. Uh, a couple guys in mind, Blake Snell and Tyler, well, Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now, now they're not to pitch a full season. Both of them had bad injury troubles last year. Gla- Snell being overused in 2018, Glass being hurt for most of 2019. 
Having healthy those guys is going to be a humongous add. Not to mention they have some prospects who are going to get time to recover. Blake Honeywell comes to mind. Um, there's just I think there's a lot in that team that you know that injury wise is going to get to heal up too. I really like their offense. I love some of their free agent moves. I think Manny Margot is going to be able to turn it around there. He provides a really nice compliment to Kevin Kiermaier when Kiermaier eventually gets hurt and they don't lose a step there. There's just a, that team to me. It just feels like there's so many great pieces that just mix and match that there's no weak link. There's no, there's no true, you know, Oh my God, world beater. Even even though Austin Meadows is on pace to become that, I think there's no true world beater on that team, but they're just so deep at every position that I think it's going to be tough to have them beat. And what happens if Wander Franco is ready? That's what I was Yeah, that's a good point. When's he going to be up? Because Willie Adamas was just recently their prospect. So, I mean, when maybe 2021 for Adamas. Yeah. Yeah, or for uh, Franco, yeah, could be. Uh, he could be. He also could be up at the end of the season if he keeps playing well. Oh yeah, sorry, Wander Franco. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 And I think no, that bullpen has the potential to be really deep too. I mean, they seem to be able to pick up people off the scrap heap and kind of turn them around. Um, yeah, I think losing losing Emilio Pagan will hurt a lot though. That'll hurt. But Austin, you know how much I love Oliver Drake. He's been on a million different teams, yeah. couldn't find his way, and then suddenly managed to managed to find himself last year. Yeah, not just that. Uh, I believe it's Nick Anderson. Is that, name? Is that the correct uh, pitcher? The one who they picked up from uh, Tampa? Yep. Or sorry, picked up from uh, Miami? Yeah, yeah, Nick yeah. Anderson. I got, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sydney and I had the privilege to get yeah. to go to the wild card game, and he's just, he is so filthy. The, if, if anybody puts him in play, it's a miracle just because of how, dom- how his fastball, it comes with so much spin and it comes so hard. It's amazing that people have, uh, you know, made contact with his stuff. He's going to, he's a guy who could easily put up a 12K per nine. Wow. That, yeah. I mean, every year. That's, that's pretty filthy. I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. His, his career, he has a 15.23. Jesus. Yeah. Do put up do put up two was worth two wins last year in sixty five innings pitch. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think that, um you know, he Diego Castillo right, Alvarado. Trade, yep. Yeah. So one thing I want to bring up is a very simple question. Is Mike Trout really the greatest of all time? People say this a lot. But I'm starting to think that he's more of the greatest player of this generation because I'm having a hard time putting him above pre-steroids bonds. Assuming Barry Bonds started taking roids when it was reported, they're saying it was around 98. If you look before that, he already had three MVPs. I mean, he was an all-star like a million times. Pittsburgh, Barry Bonds was not really something to mess with. Is Mike Trout truly if, – if he is the greatest – of all time my biggest gripe with him is that he doesn't have any counting stats that really jump off the page at you he's just really good at everything like he's never hit 50 home runs he's never hit like 330 or anything he's never i guess he's he had that monster stolen base season his rookie year 49 steals but yeah that was the first thing that came to mind was came to mind with uh, him gabby i'll let you jump this one first uh, i've got a lot of opinions on this one but i'll let you jump this one first <laughs> It's a tough question. I mean, to put it this way, he's definitely the best player I've ever watched with my own eyes, but I don't think that's necessarily um, saying whether he's better or not better than Barry Bonds um, in his Pittsburgh years. I'm just look. I'm just pulling up his stats right now. 
I mean, Bonds had only one year that was 50 plus home runs. That was the 73 home run season in 2001. I mean, I don't know. I think that's a really tough call. And I think I'd like to also see how Mike Trout ends up aging, just given that he's still only 27, 28 years old. Obviously, he's been passing a lot of Hall of Famers in terms of war, et cetera. But I think I'd still like to see how he plays into his 30s to give you a really good response to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to jump in on this one. Um, uh, here we go. Here, I'm going to read some uh, Wade Runs created plus totals for a certain player. This is just because, I, for me, I, I see the greatest player of all time as the player who is most dominant over his era. I don't think there's any other way to compare it. It's not fair, quite frankly, to try and compare Bonds to Trout because Trout isn't pitch, played in an era where pitching was so different. Um, you know, if Barry Bonds was facing, you know, he's still a dominant in, I think, the modern era, but if he was facing – you know, lefties out of the bullpen throwing 97, 98 every single time up, or, you know, the, if he had to face the Dodgers, he could just throw in and Kolarak uh, every single time he was hitting. You know, I think it'd be different, but here we go. 203, 239, 224, 178, 231, 210. Those are Babe Ruth's first five years numbers Pure batting average, uh, in the, of, at least in the 300s, a 342, slugging of 690, 168.4 offensive slash defensive wins above replacement. Not even, in, and that doesn't even get to the best part. It was a great pitcher too. Like there's, there's never going to be a guy nearly as good as him. I mean, this is going to put up 12.4 wins pitching. I no nobody will ever top Babe Ruth in terms of being purely dominant. Now, in terms of pure talent, Mike Trout's the greatest player I think we'll ever see play. You're looking at a guy who, no matter what, every single year is a model of consistency. He puts up eight wins, with the exception of 2017, where he missed a ton of time and he only put up seven. You know, he's just a, he's a yeah, he's a dominant type player. He's going what he does on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. Now, I don't, I don't think there's a player that's um, going to compare to him. I think the closest comp to him is Willie Mays and what Mike Trout's doing in the hardest era to hit and the hardest era to play the game, and doing it with no supporting cast whatsoever. Babe Ruth had Lou Gehrig um, hitting behind him for most of his Yankees career. Um, also had Bob Musial, or Bob Musial, yeah, Bob Musial, Bill Dickey, all sorts of other Hall of Famers. Mike Charles had a washed-up Albert Pujols, Justin Upton, who's been injured, Shohei Otani for the last year. Like, there's just – he's done it with so little uh, that what he's what I think he's Mike Trout's done um, – is just beyond amazing. And I think he's going to be, I think because of how bad the angels have been run, I think it'll always, he'll be looked at differently because of it. Oh, that's a really thorough answer. I mean, that's a good point. What you said about like looking at a player within the context of their era. Um, yeah. Best player of this generation is Mike Trout. Most advanced player all around probably is Mike Trout too. I, I haven't really looked too much into Mickey Mantle. I do know he and uh, Willie Mays are two comps that come up all the time from Mike Trout. But um, I do remember that um, when Trout first came up, everyone was talking about this 5-2 player. And I was always hard on him. I'm like, I don't see that arm strength. I need to see the arm strength. And then last year, <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, there was a play yeah. where he no, threw he... out, I think it was Max Muncie at the dish on like a 99 or a 98 mile an hour throw. I was like, okay, there it is. There's the arm strength. Yeah. And I think you really no, saw he, him make a concerted effort to improve his defense once he started hearing those kinds of comments, you know, 
that that was the one sort of fly in the ointment with him. I think that also just says something to what kind of a person and what kind of a player he is that like you could see, I feel like that concerted effort to improve that part of his game. Yeah. And he'll, look, he'll never be an elite, elite center fielder. He'll never be that guy. Uh, his best no. defensive season was in 2012. And that he season he played here. almost entirely mm-hmm. in left, but that season he played almost entirely in left field because they had Peter Borges in, in center. That's true. Um, I think I think you know if if he were a left fielder, his WAR numbers would be off the table because of how good his defense would be for a left fielder. Um, and that's you know no knock on him; he's a great all-around player. But you know he's never going to be mentioned. You know with Kevin Kiermaier, you know even Carlos Gomez during his prime. Um, you know those are guys that those are Jackie guys. Bradley are, Jr. Yeah, they're guys you can go get it. You know Trout can get it. He's just a corner outfielder, I think, in terms of being an elite player. That's interesting. Uh, it, do you think Joe Adele uh, projects more as a corner guy or a center fielder for the Angels? Uh, if you're asking me where I think they'll use him, I think it'll be in the corner. Um, I, mean, yeah, I don't obviously. know. Yeah, I don't know if he can if he could be a center fielder. I honestly haven't watched enough of him play. Okay. I would think that they might want to give him chances out in center. I just again, the Angels outfield is going to be. Pretty interesting because you have Justin Upton, you have to hide in left field. Um, I don't think you can put Mike Trout in right. So I think Adele's gonna have to play right just because of again how they're structured. Okay. Yeah. I think I'll also. See, I was just gonna say. Sorry, go for it. Dash. I was just gonna say like yeah, I want to see the Angels unleash Shohei Otani because so this guy came over from Japan and. For lack of a better word, he was damaged goods already. Everyone knew his UCL had issues, and he received that uh, you know, P- PRP injection or whatever they give them. PRP. Yeah, right before he mm-hmm. even yeah. came over. I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this? This dude has a messed up UCL, but I guess it was because it cost nothing to bring him. He pitched for like two months or three months or whatever. Then he gets hurt, and then you know he just becomes a hitter only. I want to see them unleash him because if you look at his stat cast numbers, it's actually ridiculous. He's one of the fastest players in the league. His raw power is oh, up yeah. there. His exit velo is, is up there. Everything. Obviously, you know, arm strength is there. I want to see them unleash him. Right now, they have it such that he doesn't pitch the day – sorry, he doesn't hit the day before he pitches, nor does he do it the day after. So, like, on both days, he doesn't hit. So, yeah. effectively, he's only hitting three, maybe four days a week. I like to see him hit, like, more like five days a week and really get a full season with the bat in addition to the pitching. Obviously, that's demanding over 162, but it would be, like – Not to mention – not to mention, he also hits lefties. That puts so much extra stress on your elbow. I think if you look at catchers that had the most, uh, highest um, instances of Tommy John, I don't have stats to pack this one up, but this is something I had heard. It's a lot of the, that left throw right, guys, because you put so much extra emphasis on that elbow. Yeah, the, I didn't even think about it. The lead elbow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But it might I think be interesting to one, see. Sorry, guys, go for it. Nope, uh, I was going to change the subject, so go for it. Nope, mine was a moot point. Go ahead. No, it's not a moot point. Let's hear it. I was going to say, it might have been interesting to see Shohei Otani do this over a shortened season. Because I think it would be difficult to see him, as you guys just made the point, him hitting five days a week and then pitching every fifth day is going to be really difficult to sustain over 162. But if we are facing, if we were facing a 70-game season with him healthy, that actually could be kind of interesting. It's a very good point. Yeah, it really is. 
Um, which I believe, which leads me perfectly into the question I wanted to ask. When do you think the season's going to start? Mm, I say around 4th of July, sometime in July. Yeah, I was thinking June, July in the back of my head, but I think we really just don't know. I mean, I think things are going to reopen slowly after co- after this COVID crisis is over, and you're going to see things introdu- reintroduced slowly. And I don't know if sports is going to be one of the first ones. That's true. So I don't, I I don't have a good it, answer, but. Yeah, I feel like that would be the um... – I feel like that would be the most natural thing to try and bring back first. You know, everybody's really, really down. You know, it's been tough to get, um, you know, it's tough to get whatever you need out right now. Like, you know, I think one thing that people would love to have as an escape from life is sports. So I feel like that might be the first thing. I also think it makes perfect sense. If you remember the NBA, when the NBA walked out, they had opening day on Christmas Day. Yeah, that was... This would be a perfect chance to the MLB of, hey, we're back, July 4th, baseball. We get everyone playing put the shortened season, get rid of interleague play for the year, um, make everybody play, you know, only the AL teams. And if you're in the AL, only the NL teams, if you're in the NL and then get ready for the playoffs. I think it'd be a fantastic thing. Kind of like what hockey did in 2013 when they had the lockout season where the Western conference teams only played the Western conference, the Eastern conference teams only played the Eastern conference and you went straight into the playoffs. Yeah. They'd have to redo the schedule for sure. So that obviously you still play your division the same amount of times all the way through for each team. But um, the reason I, I do think it's coming this summer is because they have started playing again in Korea. They started playing again in Korea, I think, yesterday. And obviously, I think the response yep. to COVID-19 in Korea was um, a lot more rigorous from, from the onset. But um, hopefully, we can use that as a model and kind of move forward and get this in the rearview mirror within just a couple months. Agreed. Although, in fairness, the Korean government was a, a lot more uh, proactive in their handling of COVID-19 than our government. Right. I think when, whenever it does start back up, whenever sports do start back up, you're going to start with um, op- uh, just empty stadiums, you know, no fans at the beginning. And then maybe eventually, hopefully they bring back the fans. Who knows? Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And I think even when you start allowing fans to come back to stadiums, I think that there's going to be a large subset of the population that is timid to enter a large crowd. I mean, I know even for me personally, like even if you told me I could go outside tomorrow and live a normal life, I don't think I would be able to just quickly, you know, readjust that quickly. So I think it's a little bit of a long haul, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, But hopefully by playoffs maybe by october everything has calmed down but this is just me speculating i have no idea <laughs> who knows uh i mean look i'm not a doctor and i think the, the best thing we can do is continue to listen to the best medical advice and ignore um misleading information that comes out in certain press conferences but uh i think you know if we're able as we actually can take the social distancing seriously if we're able to get ourselves moving in the right direction we're able to you know, continue to do the research we need to do. I can see baseball coming back, especially when, like, as soon as there's a vaccine for this, I feel like everything returns to normal. But until then, I could see everything being slowly introduced once it, you know, starts dying down in, you know, maybe late, late March, or this is late March, maybe late April, early May. Yeah, and then they're going to have to ramp back up. They're going to need another spring training. 
I mean, they're going to need another few weeks. I mean, hopefully pitchers are, yeah. are I mean, staying my, somewhat stretched out, but they're going to need to see hitters. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mark, Shap- uh, Mark Shapiro, G- uh, president of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, was on ESPN today saying that he felt, thought they'd need at least a full month once um, congregation was allowed again in order to have um, a full se- uh, season of any sort. Wow. That I makes mean, sense. Makes sense. It's, it's going to be tough. It's, it's, you know, it's, this is something I think we feared, and I don't think it's something that we've ever really truly prepared for. So uh, to see everything that's happened is incredibly tragic. Uh, it makes baseball seem like a much smaller game. But at the end of the day, there's, I think, the one thing, at least for me, that will help me get through, um, you know, missing the start of the season you know, getting into the summer months with life, you know, seeing everything seeming to be on eggshells and seeing, feeling like we're in, you know, a bizarro universe, a Truman show, for lack of a better word. Um, it, one is going to be playing MVP baseball 2005, greatest video game ever made. And, you know, the other is once baseball comes back, just being able to watch baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I did think, I mean, some people have said, like, if it's possible, right? Like, if there is no season, imagine being a Dodgers fan and you get Mookie Betts, you trade away, and then the season's nullified, and maybe you ne- you never even get to see Mookie Betts in a Dodger uniform and things like that. I was like, wow, that would be such an unprecedented situation for Players Association and obviously the commissioner's office to deal with contracts and service time and free agency and stuff. Yeah, I mean, what they what yeah, I mean, what they could do theoretically is, um, I mean, a good compromise would be to allow everybody to get paid um, for a full season, well, allow, put, put the reserve clause back for one year, allow teams to renew the contract, but have everybody's service time get accelerated. So, for instance, Mookie Betts would obviously still be a free agent. It would, it would unfortunately negatively impact him, but someone, for instance, uh, Matt Chapman or Matt Olson, both guys who are going to be coming up on their last year of club control, they would be in year, they'd be treated as year two of arbitration the next year, someone like that maybe. Right, some sort of happy medium there. I mean, it it sucks if you're a Dodger fan. It really sucks if you're an A's fan too. This this pitching staff was gonna was shaping up to be outstanding and one of the cheapest pitching staffs in baseball. Um, if you're honestly, I feel like the only fan base that's really kind of okay with the season getting canceled has to be Boston. Like everyone else has a legitimate shot to be good. Absolutely. Maybe not Kansas City, but (laughs) but if you're a white, maybe not Baltimore. Like if you're in, if you're in Chicago and you're getting ready to watch the White Sox play, you're you're getting killed right now. Like you've, you've finally gone all in. You know you might not be ready to win this year, but you've got a good team. You know, same thing in San Diego, same thing in uh, in Texas. Yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of teams that are like right on that cusp, and now you don't get to see what that team looks like. Texas is opening. A new isn't stadium. Texas opening that new ballpark in. this year? Yeah, globe the, the yep. new Globe Life. Yeah, that's this year. Yep. That's tough. That was a huge revenue thing for that team. You know, yeah, exactly. What's it going to do for a team like the Diamondbacks that was re- that's really pushing hard to put a competitive product on the field and has flirted in the past with leaving Arizona? Yeah. Leaving Arizona? I didn't hear that one before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Diamondbacks are thinking of moving to Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah, they've held very secret conversations. Uh, with the uh, people in Clark County trying to uh, move the team into Henderson. Um, this came out back in September uh, this year that they had discussed it. 
because they want a new ballpark because I guess a ballpark built in 2000 is too old. Yeah, D-backs are one of those sneaky teams. Not... Sorry, Gabby, what were you going to say? I was going to say, going back to your point about them moving to Vegas, I mean, do you think that would really be effective? I mean, apart from wanting to build a new ballpark, which they theoretically could do in Arizona if they had to. I'm not sure. What was the reasoning behind moving to Vegas other than that? Money. Money. A lot of uh, Clark Clark County, Henderson, Las Vegas, the whole thing. They have done such a poor job with uh, public sports negotiations. I mean, the deal the Oakland Raiders got, uh, or sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders. It's painful to even say that. The deal that they got every that they got is just it's such a terrible, terrible move if you're a city. You know, that's gonna that kills public education. That's gonna kill schooling. Like it's brutal. Um, the deal the Vegas Golden Knights at least for an expansion team and. You know, they put a lot of their own money into it, but still, like, it's – Vegas is bending head over heels to get teams. It's one of those municipalities I think has done a really poor job of budgeting what they want um, sports-wise and budgeting what their priorities are, and I think it's going to eventually haunt them. But, you know, they were given the Diamondbacks a fantastic deal, something that uh, Maricopa County wasn't going to give them. Interesting. So, are we going to have – because – this year, baseball is supposed to return to the Olympics. Are we even going to have the Olympics? If so, I mean, what's it going to look like? With, I mean, obviously it's in the middle of the MLB season if there was one. But I did hear there was going to be a difference now is that they were going to allow players on the 40-man to play. So you would essentially be having your top minor league guys being able to play. Like a guy like Joe Adele, for example, would be able to play for USA. Yep. A guy like... um um. Wander Franco would be able to play for DR, et cetera, et cetera. I, I thought that was going to be really interesting. I was looking forward to seeing that, but now it looks like we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I think the thing I was most excited to see was the Cuban national team. You know, we don't get to see them very often. I, at least we'll get to see them in the World Baseball Classic in 2021. But for me, that's like the opportunity to scout the next players. Uh, the 2006 World Baseball Classic was our first chance to truly see Alexi Ramirez play against major league pitchers. Um, you know, in 2009, we got to see, um, we got to see Dion Jonas Despedes, you know, other great players. We've gotten to see them throughout the years. 2013, I'm blanking on who was on that Cuban team, but there was a, at least a couple major leaguers on that. Um, so I think that's something that we're really going to lose out on. We lose out on, you know, the players who can't really get out, you know, or Audrey Samar to Spain. Um, there's just, it's really sad and it's really tough. And I think those are, uh, those are teams that that's really what I was looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I uh, read that Joanna Cespedes' younger brother just became a free agent, actually. So he's in the U.S. and yep. he's looking to sign with a team. But, um, yeah, apparently he's got some pretty good tools and teams are looking at him. He's been play- He played in the, the, the 2017 WBC for Cuba. Yeah. But he had stayed back in Cuba up until just 2019, this past year, and then he came over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's it can be really tough to you know not to get to see those guys. And one one thing I really I was hoping to touch on today. Um, obviously, you know we've we've hit on classic games, but on the draft a little bit. 
We've hit on free agency. We've hit on a bunch of different subjects. One thing I think that really is get, gets lost in um, the swing of the regular season is just how much of a, a grind it is to be a minor league ball player. Uh, do you think that having the stoppage is going to be something that really changes how we think of minor league baseball, knowing that those guys were getting paid nothing before during the season, and now a lot of them have, you know, they're having to take jobs as Uber Eats drivers and, you know, whatnot because they're, they're not getting paid very well. Absolutely. Um, actually, just the other day, Major League Baseball announced that they're going to provide some financial help for these minor leaguers because, let's face it, these guys haven't been paid since August. And, you know, a lot of them, like you said, have odd jobs in yeah. the in the off season. But I think as of now is that they're going to give them some like the allowances that they would have been getting to begin the season. They're going to give it to them like in a lump sum. I'm not sure how long that's going to last for, or, you know, how long the duration would be for that lump sum, like what that covers. But at least it's something that's obviously just a Band-Aid solution. The real solution would just be to, you know, start paying them better, just divert some of the funds, some of the revenue from Major League Baseball downwards, you know, into the farm system. There's really no reason why you should have guys eating PB and J's all the time, right? When you have, when you have no. a guy go on a, on a rehab start, it's like Christmas. They're, they're so happy when a major leaguer comes on a rehab start because they can eat one good meal, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. No, it's, it's an absolute, you know, travesty. And Gabby, do you have anything that you think you, that I'm missing on that? No, I totally agree with you. I was listening actually to a podcast the other day, not a baseball related podcast, but I was listening to Capital Allocators and there's a guy in Mike Schwimmer who I think pitched for the Phillies and maybe, I don't know, maybe had a little bit of like one of those oddball pitching careers, but started up a fund that's structured like a private equity fund to try to invest in minor league ball players. It's a little bit of a funky structure, but it's a way for players to kind of borrow from their future. And they take capital in and they tell the players like, okay, we'll pay you now in smaller sums. And then if you, I don't remember what it was. I think it's like, if you play long enough that you get the right to free agency, then you owe them back. So it's a lot, it's, it's something, my point with that anecdote is it's something that people are really thinking about and people are trying to come up with solutions to. So Hopefully this kind of provides some sort of jump start because as you guys were saying, it, it really doesn't work well when you have minor league ball players who are having to take jobs as Uber drivers just to get themselves through the season. And now they don't even have a season to start playing. So might, this might help open up some eyes and maybe lead to some more action. Yeah, yeah definitely agree with that. I was going to say like one actually really big development that did come up a few months ago that has been pushed on the back burner, but people should remember that there have been some very serious discussions into shrinking the size of affiliated minor league ball. This has been talked about. Yeah. We were talking about doing it as early as I think this year, actually. A lot of the um, yep. A lot of like, for example, like Austin, you're familiar with SoCal. You know how you have like the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, the Inland Empire, 66ers. Yep. The whole yeah, the so, whole a, the A plus league. Exactly. Like teams like that, it's kind of redundant because you already have two major league teams in the region. So if you got rid of, let's say, like the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, it wouldn't really hurt the region. Like anyone in Rancho could easily drive to Anaheim and watch a game there. Or if they wanted to, they could really go to the Inland Empire game. So um, it was basically te teams like that. I think the, the Charleston River Dogs and like a bunch of other teams, um, I saw that they were they were going to cut them out of minor league baseball. I mean, I, I, I guess a byproduct of that would be increase being able to increase the salaries because even if you just paid 
you know, the same total amount of money because now you have fewer players than the, you know, uh, salary per player would go up. But that's definitely something we should keep an eye on. And if, you know, affiliated ball is going to shrink, that's going to change the dynamic of the draft. Uh, you know, amateurs in college deciding whether or not to sign because essentially what a lot of these guys do when they sign like the 30th round, they know that their chance of making it to the big leagues are very slim, but minor league baseball is selling a dream to these kids. We're, we're giving you your last chance to pursue major league baseball. Come sign with us for a thousand bucks and, and play on some backfield in Arizona. But you know, they're kind of hurting these kids because these kids can't develop other skills that they can take into other work, into other walks of life. They're, you know, living off of, you know, you know, friends and family, and they're just kind of stunting their development for a few years. Yeah, no, it's it, that's real. Um, it's going to be uh, it's that's a scary thing. Obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders and Alex, uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez both you know rallied pretty vehemently against the contraction of those teams. It seemed to me to be a complete cash grab by the MLB, and nobody was really thrilled. Like, there was no provision to pay the players more. It just seemed to be putting more money in the owners' pockets. Um, I think one thing that could be tough with minor leaguers too, um, obviously, you know, they've sued in the past, uh, Scott Barosh just led a lawsuit, um, and they lost, uh, the MLB was able to, you know, keep their antitrust exemption. I really think that, you know, if let's say that they end up with a democratic Congress and a democratic president, I really think they should consider, um, looking at the MLB antitrust exemption. That's a good point. Yeah, that, it's going to be an evolving situation. I mean, th- like you said, the lawsuit, that happened a while ago. Um, it's it's not going to come to an end soon, yeah. but there seems to be some traction. No, it, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And I'm, you know, I think I feel for the minor league. I feel that, you know, that's something they really, really want to be able to do is pursue their career as baseball players. And to be told that it's an internship and like you basically have to have money in order to play this game is, you know, beyond me. Not to mention they don't provide very much in terms of, in terms of training. If you're a foreign player coming to the U.S. and you don't speak English, good luck. There's no translators for you. I mean, I don't know, Deji, if, uh, at the alumni games, you ever got to speak to Alex Sunderland. Uh, when Sunday was in the, uh, was in the minor leagues, he, uh, told, he told some stories about times where he had to, go to uh like western uh west not western mutual um the one the money the uh, payday loan places and teach guys how to cash checks so that they'd have money to spend and he told some absolute horror stories from that yeah that's tough so do either of you guys have any other topics you wanted to touch on yeah, I think we covered we've covered the gamut pretty well. Astros, COVID nineteen, minor leaguers, Yankees, Red Sox, Tampa Bay. I don't know. You got anything, Austin? Uh, I think we've hit on everything. Um, obviously, it's, you know, we've hit on great players, great everything. Uh, I think one one final thing I'd always like to mention. Um, when it comes to great games, uh, every season's got its classic. We hit on some Yankees Red Sox games. Uh, now that we can't go to games, Deji, I want to know what's the best game that you've ever seen live. Oh, best game I've ever seen live. Oh, that's easy. This is not a regular season game though, but it was the WBC game we saw 
between the USA and Venezuela. I was going to mention that. Yep. (laughs) That was was a great game. I mean, that whole WBC in 27, that was just, that was just fun. That was, that was a lot of fun. I can't wait till next year. Oh yeah. I'm very excited for next year. Gabby, what about you? Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Mariana Rivera's 300th career saves. It wasn't a huge one. It wasn't a, you know, crazy exciting game, but it was a really special moment. And I was young when I was there, so it was fun. I've been blessed. Uh, I've been blessed to go to a lot of great games. Uh, my dad took me to yeah. a Dodgers game when I was uh, four that ended up being the uh, Fernando Tatis two grand slams in the same inning game. Um, oh, that's fun. You, know, you were at the game? I bear- that's pretty cool. I was, yeah, I was very young. Don't remember much of it, but I was there. Wow. Um, uh, game six, of the 2002 World Series, definitely up there. Uh, you know, Dusty Baker handing Russ Ortiz the game ball with the Giants up five in the uh, in the seventh inning, only to watch the Giants bullpen implode and give up six in the seventh and eighth. Um, that one's oh, that will always be a classic for me. Um, that World Baseball Classic game was amazing too. Uh, that was that game was really really special. But, oh man, best game I've ever seen. This is going to go back a little bit. It was Dodgers-Mets game five, 2015 NLDS. Uh, I was should not have been at that game. Uh, I had a procedure done on my neck two days before, and being the genius I am, decided to drive to that game with one of, my team, one of our college teammates. Um, we sat in the left field bleachers and watched uh, DeGrom and Zach Greinke battle it out, um, watched David Murphy, or David, sorry, Daniel Murphy pretty much steal that game for the Mets. And then watch the Mets go on a pretty ridiculous run to the World Series off that game. So for me, that was the most just incredible game. And it was also the game that led the Dodgers to finally fire Don Mattingly and let Andrew Friedman do his full takeover of the club that he wanted to do. That was such a gutsy performance by DeGrom. Uh, that was... Oh, yeah, man. Was he was game. so bad in that first inning, too. He was getting absolutely rocked. And the fact that he was able to hold it to two runs over seven innings yep. shows what type of competitor he is. Syndergaard came out of the bullpen in that game. Yep. Good times. That's all I got. All right, then. Well, I think that's that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining me, guys. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Enjoy your um, your social distancing, and, uh, you know, we'll try to get through this. No baseball. Oh, we will. Okay. Oh, man. They need to simulate the season at some point. MLB 20, the show. Whoever wins in that simulation gets to keep the World Series. It counts. Yeah, just simulate, like, a full slate <laughs> of games every day. Simulate the, the 162. Yeah. Or make players play the video games against each other. So that's going to do it for today. Big shout-out to Austin and Gabby for – hopping on the pod today. If you enjoyed this, please share with someone who would be interested and we'll see you next time on Baseball Connection.